Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Retro Time Podcast. I'm Jeremy. And I'm Derek. Hey, Derek, how you doing, man? I'm doing good. Halloween just passed. Oh, um, Halloween. A lot of ghosts and ghouls, baby. Ghosts and ghouls and tummy aches from all the... <laughs> all oh, the yeah. Candy. I still have a tummy ache to this day. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about you. I ate most of my kids' candy. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm still eating it. I'm like, no, I that's, it. you can't have that. It's bad for you. Give it to me. Let me mm-hmm. eat it. I'll take one oh, yeah. for the tea. It's always good. It's one of the only reasons <laughs> to be a parent. Yeah, what'd you guys do? Would you, did you have a group uh, a group costume or did you... Um, I, did oh, you guys this is up? funny. So last minute, I didn't have a costume and I was like, I want to dress up as something. And I, every year I always default to dressing up as a stupid banana because okay. I have a banana costume. And if you got a banana costume, you, you dress you as a banana. You got to use it. Exactly. Yeah, of course. My wife used to be a LuLaRoe consultant. And LuLaRoe is that company that sold pants to women. Um, I remember. I've seen the documentary. Uh, yeah, it was, it was a documentary uh, recently. <laughs> So I, I found some of her old leggings and her old outfits, and I just went into her uh, closet and put it on. Okay. And then I just walked okay. out, and I'm like, let's go. If there's one day out of the year you could do that, that or Mardi Gras, I guess, like the only two that you could do that. It was <laughs> that great. Works. It was great. I'll allow it. All right, Derek. So uh, we have got an awesome guest today. Um, I'm really excited to get into this because this is something we're going to talk a little bit about something that I don't think a lot of software teams really think about. Some people in the software teams do, but I think... Um, People often kind of just overlook this. They just kind of take this for granted. But we're going to talk about content governance today. I think this is it's actually really important, something I'm really excited to talk about. We've got uh, Chris Willis on the call here. Chris Willis is Acrolink's Chief Marketing and Pipeline Officer. He's responsible for all the aspects of the company's marketing strategy. He brings over 20 years of experience growing companies in the technology sector. Before joining Acrolinks, Willis held uh, leadership roles in marketing, creative, technical business development at companies including Perfecto, Prixis Mobile, KPMG, Model Golf, Cambridge Technology Group. Uh, and in his spare time, Chris enjoys networking with other CMOs and keeps active by coaching CrossFit at Powder Mill CrossFit in Acton, Massachusetts. So, Chris, if previous experience is any indication, we'll probably talk a lot about CrossFit. <laughs> Um, so welcome to the show, Chris. It's great to have you. Oh, did I did I tell you that I do CrossFit? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about that. We have, we've got CrossFit jokes, but we don't. You wear you I'm do sure CrossFit. We'll I wear leggings, so it's almost, <laughs> almost the same. Fair enough. Uh, so, Chris, you had a good Halloween. You uh, hopefully didn't eat any candy from CrossFit. You, you worked it all off. I guess you're allowed to eat more candy than us. I, I may have had some candy. It's it's possible. All right. Well, cool. Well, um, so we're going to talk about content governance today. And before we hop into it, I think there's probably a lot of people out there that probably have no idea what content governance actually is. So why don't you break that down for us in simple, simpleton terms for all the <laughs> UX designers and software engineers out there? Uh, what, what is content governance? What sure. So, I mean, when people talk about content governance, they're, they're really talking about their overall content strategy, understanding what the content that they're writing is for, then taking active steps, not passive steps, to ensure that it meets the goals. So if you're creating the user experience for a mobile application, mm-hmm. um, does it mirror the language that the rest of your company uses? Is it clear mm-hmm. and consistent? Um, is it using terminology that is, again, in line with your business and your brand? Uh, and having all of those those guidelines laid out up front. When we think about a guideline for content governance, the top level guideline would be, we're all going to spell the name of our company right. right? So <laughs> if I can do <laughs> that, um, then you understand sort of where we're headed with this content governance. When we type the name of the company, we mm-hmm. type it like this. And if we don't, we should probably think about doing it. And so that, you know, for most companies, for Acrolinks, um, I could see spelling this wrong if you're a new employee, but it is what it is. We have one word, one name. If you work at American Express, 
Are you American Express? Are you AE? Are you Amex? Is there a dot com? Mm-hmm. And can we build a, a rule set as a, as a company that says this is what we say? And again, if you understand that as a guideline, then what else do you care about in your content? That's essentially what we mean by content governance. Just thinking through how you want your content to read to the audiences that you care about um, and then being active about managing that. Yeah. So, you know, from as from the UX designer's perspective, I'm, I'm a UX designer, by the way. I'm the UX designer. Derek is a software engineer. Um, but we, you know, we talk a lot about brand and voice and tone and the way that you communicate we talk about user experience. The the language that the user reads on screen is a direct has a direct correlation to the user experience. Absolutely. And so you know, I think of things you know like um, error messages, uh, success messages, but emails, um, you know, all that stuff. The other, it's interesting. I was actually talking with somebody who worked at Marriott recently, UX designer at Marriott, and for their brand, they have like thirty something brands. You know, all the way from like. You know, the VIP experience kind of brand to the more like family friendly brand and the way that they have to like lay out certain um, pages based on the brand could completely change what words they use. For instance, like a button could say for one brand, let's go. All right. Another button, the same action could be let's do this. Another one could be like click here or something, yep. continue or something. So it's it's really interesting. So um, this idea of, of consistency uh, I think is, is really what we're talking about, right? Keeping this consistent, using the same tone, the same voice and all those things. And understanding what, what aligns and what's good, having a mechanism mm-hmm. to be able to essentially quantify good. Like, mm-hmm. can I see somewhere in a reporting system that the content that we're mm-hmm. creating is aligned? Um, and if ah, it's not, can okay. I go back and then make changes to that? Because from a, from a UX standpoint, I mean, the challenges that you're dealing with is, you know, hey, can I understand this? Is it, is it clear mm-hmm. or is it confusing? Is, is there too many words? We're building for multiple platforms now. So um, your content organization gives you a batch of words and you're building a mobile application. What am I going to do with this? This is too much. Um, and can you then make that change or do you need to go back? to your editorial organization and say, I need a mobile version of this. Can you be aligned with the rest of the business? Is there that level of governance that allows you to be self-sufficient with your, with your content changes? Um, you know, the idea you're talking about tone of voice, you know, unengaged content, vague, misguided content within software um, that ends up serving no specific purpose and doesn't drive the user experience. Um, nowadays, uh, things like inclusion, and diversity, non-inclusive language, non-empathetic language um, drives users away from your products and services. And it could be anything, however unintended, that does that. Do we have a governance model in place that manages the correct use of language to be inclusive, to be diverse, to allow for accessibility um, and all of that? you know, plays into that UX experience. But the interesting thing about all of this is that, you know, when you talk about the user experience of a a business, um, for years, that really meant, I think people meant it to mean the way that people use the software, the the way that people experience the website. And, you know, I've been selling as a marketer in technology uh, for the last 10 years, maybe, this concept of the digital shift. And the digital shift is coming. And my big enterprise customers, you got to be ready for this. Because someday, someday, and I'm not sure I ever believed there was a someday, you're going to have your primary interface with your consumer be completely digital. 
Right. Just let's go out and sell that. Let's sow fear and get people to realize they need to move their processes forward. And then according to the flip calendar on the desk of my office, on March 11th of 2020, again, because that's the last day that I flipped the calendar, um, the digital shift happened. Now your only interface with your consumer is digital. Mm -hmm. And this concept of a customer experience goes way beyond just your software and your website to the way that you interface with your business. So the work that we're doing can't just be governed in silos, right? So you can build your own content governance model for your organization, for your your part of the business. This is how UX writes and communicates. But as a business, that is just one touch point. There's product, there's product documentation, there's product manuals, there's educational Mm -hmm. content, there's support, there's service, there's marketing, there's sales. All of this needs to be one or several voices for the consumer that you're engaging with in the marketplace. And it takes this governance model from silo, your team, to global, your organization, and the hierarchy that starts again with, we all spell the name of the company right. But to your point of Marriott, all of this rolls down into multiple brands, multiple business units, multiple offerings to be able to have the individual voices again the personas that you're marketing to it's yeah it's it's a complex model it's really interesting too though because as you start talking about growing this you know maybe the ux copywriter can write stuff for the 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 mobile app or something and then maybe the marketing team has a copywriter who writes for the emails but then when you start thinking about the sales material that comes out well in advance or the you know the the like you just mentioned faqs and the, the help center the resource center all that stuff you want to have a consistent customer experience across all of those things and the larger that team grows, the harder that becomes, right? You know, and, and also, too, I think the other thing is tone and voice almost become very subjective often, right? I, I, I mean, how do you make something like that objective? Putting, using this word versus this word, maybe you could say something like that. But then when you start putting all these sentences together and words together, um, it becomes something very subjective. And what I think matches the brand might be very different from what the marketing team thinks matches the brand, right? Um and then, you know, like we said, like Hilton, then you multiply that by 30 and now you suddenly need all this stuff. So so all of this stuff becomes, uh, you know, almost impossible to sort of wrap your head around, right? Mm-hmm, absolutely. And I mean, like you say, there's different voices for different parts of the business. So when I got mm-hmm. to this company that I'm at now, Acrolinks in, in 2017, first thing that I do as a new CMO in the business is I want to put my stamp on it and I'm going to define our mm-hmm. voice. And we, you know, I sat down with our founder and we said, we're not... We're not arrogant, but we're confident. We're not outrageous, but we're kind of friendly and funny. Not corporate. We're wise. Sweet. Okay, so we have a marketing exercise going on. We're saying a bunch of bullshit that nobody really understands what to do with. And <laughs> yep. how do you how do you turn that into execution? So if I say I'm relatable or I'm witty, I, I need to use positive language. I need to be light and fun. I need to take risks with communication. I need to take it a bit further than we think we can and be out there, but genuine. Okay, still, we're like three levels away from execution. Like, what does this really mean from a governance standpoint? And that's where we get into positive, not negative. Um, Don't use words like won't and can't. Um, Active, not passive. Um, Read your writing out loud. Is it light and engaging? Is it fun or is it boring in corporate? Don't use stupid marketing buzzwords. And those all become things that we can turn into our corporate guidelines that starts to put in place this list of 
criteria of guidelines that we want to see in our content. And it's even better because I work at a, co a company that sells a product that allows me to automate that. I can absorb right. all of okay. that, make oh, it wow. actionable with AI. And then everybody that writes leverages all those guidelines. So if you're writing and you're boring, it tells you. If you're writing and you're using buzzwords, it oh, tells wow. you. If you're writing and you're using the wrong brand language, it tells you, hey, fix it. Wow. So okay, interesting. So roll that over with. Yeah, almost something like Grammarly. Is that what you're so sort Grammarly of thinking about? makes you, me, all of our friends individually better writers. Mm -hmm. We help thousands of writers, both inside and outside an enterprise right like the business. So I used to call my sales team, if you're in a deal competing with Grammarly, one of you's in the wrong room, go ask. Um, we sell to you completely <laughs> different things, but you're right. Uh -huh. It is guidance uh, around it's... linguistics and natural language process. Yeah, so I, when I think Grammarly, I guess what I'm thinking is like real-time suggestions yep. of, you know, um, instead of saying, um, you know, effect or effect, effect, right? It'll say, did you mean this? You know, so something like that. I, I, I could just see an interview. I'm thinking like, wow, this is a great business opportunity. Oh, that's what you guys are doing. Going, so. To go even further, we are, I yeah. was at a company where we sold to DevOps and mm -hmm. DevOps, it was, a, it was a mobile testing company and we sell to DevOps. DevOps doesn't want to read about testing. They're not QA people. They think about software mm -hmm. quality. So don't say test, say quality. But I can't even tell you mm -hmm. what kind of company we are without saying the word test. So that's a, a bit of a limitation from a terminology standpoint, because you can assume that everybody that writes content for me writes the word test all over everything. So manually, I have to go through and change test where necessary to quality. I can't do it everywhere because some yeah. cases, somebody might've actually meant to say test, but in most cases I need to change that to quality. And yeah. what made it all more difficult was that these are super smart technologists who are writing very technical content in English as a second language. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not wrong. It's just hard to read. And yeah, the idea yeah. of being able to guide them through the first draft of saying, you know, this is unclear. Here's why it's unclear. Here are some examples of how to change that. You're using the word test. Did you mean to use quality? Um, driving them to create a first draft that is ready to be reviewed, not for quality, but for context. And we don't get to do that. I mean, edit editors and businesses don't get to, to really review content for the context of the content. We just want to make sure that there's no obscenities in the middle of it. And we're going to pop it up on the website. We're going to throw it into our software. If it's not embarrassing, it's probably okay. And what yeah. we want to see by putting this governance in place is that the content that comes through your governance process is good for your business. It's not just good content for content's sake. It's relevant, it's impactful, and it's going to drive business results. If the business result is you're going to get users to drive to different areas of your software, is that happening? Mm -hmm. Can you use yeah. language to do that? Or can you, in fact, use language to spoil that? And let's now you, just, you just brought up a really interesting point that I think a lot of, especially Americans, will take this for granted. I don't know about other, other places, but I'm sure Americans. English is sort of the, the de facto language of commerce for much of the world. And what I think we often forget is that many of the people who are building that software do not speak English as a first language. 100%. And so you're absolutely right. Like writing, I was telling, I, I actually do a lot of um, mentoring. And so I, I uh, have meetings often with a lot of people who have English as a second language. And I was talking to a woman yesterday who is in Wisconsin, originally from China, in Wisconsin. And she's, I was giving her interview tips on how to interview and present. And I was just thinking to myself, like, God, I, have, I would never be able to even order a coffee in Chinese, 
<laughs> and this woman is is literally presenting her work and herself and her self-worth and all these things in a completely different language. And I'm just like, I'm, I'm like fascinated by like anybody who can do that. It just blows my mind. We, Derek and I work a lot with guys in, in uh, Poland and Hungary and the same thing. And it was really complex technical conversations in a completely different language that is not their own. Blows my mind that anybody's able to even do that. It's amazing. Like I, all I worked in an Israeli software company. Literally, all I learned how to say, I learned to say two things: "Anilama um, Vinivrit," which means I don't speak Hebrew. Which the response would be, "Oh, Angli, Ken, yes, English, yes." Um, either you switch to English, or we're done here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the other thing is "Isharochele," which just literally means "woman eating." It means nothing. I learned it on uh, Rosetta Stone. That's the only thing I took away from Rosetta Stone. And I used it like they used the word Smurf back in the old cartoons. It was everything. I would enter yeah, a room. You shall have it. I learned Japanese. I was trying to learn Japanese a long time ago. And the only thing I remember is, Korewa Kasa which is, this is an umbrella. <laughs> so, um, anyway. Super so, valuable on rainy days. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is your own rainy days, right? Um, so it's interesting about helping folks who have English as a second language because there are some relationship-related things related to you going to someone and reading their email and then responding to them, this isn't how you write English. Mm-hmm. You can't do that, but a machine yep. telling you or giving you recommendations, all of a sudden, the it's not, you know, it's not a bad thing. It's not offensive anymore. Right. So. And it doesn't mess up your relationship. And if you think about the way that it actually works, right? So the subjectivity of editorial, um, I don't like your sweater today. I'm not going to say that to you, but it's definitely going to come out in the way that I read your content. And mm-hmm. a, a smart system doesn't care what you're wearing. It just knows the rule set. And it's not mean. It's not, it's not trying to, to make you feel bad. It's just saying, I can't read this. Could we, could we try some things? And mm-hmm. when we, when we originally pitched this, this product's been around for quite some time. And I, I feel like back, you know, 10 years ago when the company was selling this product, writers and editors saw this as competitive. Like, I don't want mm-hmm. big brother looking over my shoulder, reading my content. I'm an artist. Cool. Mm-hmm. You are, but also we're an enterprise and there's thousands of you and everybody has their own tone of voice and everybody writes their own way but we don't like our company shouldn't. And Mm -hmm. this allowed everybody to be better, to look better in the eyes of their management and the advancement that we see of, of not only the people that buy software like this, but the people that use it, like they, they are promoted. They grow in their Mm -hmm. career because this makes them look better. Yeah. So, uh, so this is really interesting, Derek. I'm curious, like from your perspective, um, when we talk about content governance and, and, you know, writing and things like that, I'm I'm curious, how does the software teams generally approach this? Is this something that like take seriously? You think, or is this something that's kind of an afterthought, or just ah, just write a story, whatever, um, you know, or some random developer is 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 writing an error message? Like, how how does that generally work in your experience? I'm curious. Like, what do you, how, how does how does it generally? Proceed? It's something I've been thinking about as we've been talking. I think that in the software world, for software teams, there's usually a pocket of people who feel really passionate about how things are written. Mm-hmm. how things are communicated. But there's also a bunch of folks who 
put up one line in a story and move on or their their code their commits are are not consistent they just say fix the bug you know or, or whatever it is and we worked on a team Jeremy where there was some governance automated governance for certain things simple stuff no, nothing nothing requiring ai just yet but um you know you needed to have things structured a certain way and with that added was the ability to audit previous work increased like 100%. Because now Interesting. for us it's what happened. That's the that's the question we always want to answer in software. What happened? Like cuz something's inevitably going to go wrong. Uh, a lot of the folks in software today are thinking what's next? But a lot of the people writing the software really they what they want to know is what happened. That's the funny thing. Um <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so it's um it's applying that concept to software governance at uh, the team level. I think it's a good I idea. I tell you what, like Chris, when we came across this content, uh, this concept of content governance, and we were like, oh, Chris, definitely want to have Chris in the show. The thing that made me think about this, this is a true story. I came across an error in one of the apps that I'm building at work, and the error message was, dearest user, there was an error, contact sysadmin. Oh, I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> Exactly. My dearest user, it was like written in the 1800s, like came across a, a, the Atlantic on a ship, you know, like my dearest user, I hope this error finds you well. And written on some parchment, yeah. um, And it was just so useless. And I remember thinking like, what on earth would anyone do? First of all, it sounds so goofy. Dearest user, uh, contact sysadmin. Who's sysadmin? I'm, you know, and I'm thinking to myself, like I'm a user, I'm banging my head against the wall. Because I have no idea how to how to s- progress in my work, you know, especially enterprise software, right? I sysadmin, your sysadmin. Yeah, who's sysadmin? Yeah. Oh. So anyway, so this got me thinking, you know, this whole idea, and and so you know, Acrolinks. I mean, it seems like amazing thing. AI, obviously, this is pretty Im- impressive, badass software. But I'm curious, you know, the, it seems like you've been doing this for a while before you had something like Acrolinks. How how do we manage all of this for for teams who might not have access to some tool that helps them? Um, it, Do you have any thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, at a bare minimum, it doesn't take software to be active about your governance process. Mm-hmm. The problem that we see is that most businesses are pretty passive about it. So when you mm-hmm. think about you know building your strategy, a lot of companies have an idea of how they want to create content, but that isn't documented. It isn't put down, and then it becomes subjective of every editorial process. Well, this isn't really what... This isn't the way we communicate. And, and that mm-hmm. runs into your error message of, I know it's not right, but I don't know what right is because we don't have a definition of right, right? Um, uh-huh. You know, you, you think about there is no, in a passive organization, no measurable or illustratable quality metric. Um, if you're more active about it, you start being able to look at, you know, the things that are incorrect in it. Is it clear? No. Is it in voice? No. Is it... Is it using the right terminology? No. And you can start putting together some math around whether or not this is okay or if it needs to be fixed. And that goes through all the quality, guidance, um, performance measurement. All of that are techniques that you can use with no software just to make your process easier. When you're able to, though, put some automation in place, I mean, think about that error message. I don't need to know what that error message needs to say. I need to see the XML tag that calls out the fact that there's an error message. And I need association to what error messages are available for us to use as a company. So let each of your your programmers write whatever the hell they want. 
but I'm going to catch it in the tag. I'm going to update that based on, or I'm going to provide guidance based on that tag and deliver the set of acceptable error messages. So you wrote dearest, dearest user. We don't, we don't say that. <laughs> Here's some things that you could actually say that are approved and ready. And then it gets yeah. even better when you integrate that into Sketch or Figma or Adobe products or post-development in something like GitHub. So as content is committed, as, so as software is committed into GitHub, we're doing content checks against that. It's taking essentially your content process and moving it to continuous development in the same way that you've moved your process forward with your software development. Because one thing that hasn't changed is, you know, we've moved from waterfall to agile to continuous de development, uh, continuous integration to continuous de uh, deployment. Mm -hmm. But content's still content. Words are still words. It still takes time to write something, get it edited by a person. And I can't keep up. And the things that are slowing us down now that are costing us money, the fact that things like software documentation isn't ready for release. Like we're just not there yet. It's great that you right. built the software, but we're not done documenting uh, yeah, it yet. And yeah, we haven't shown users how to use it yet, but you're going to release it and then they're going to be confused. Exactly. So, so if we can automate the checks on that content against those guidelines that we just defined as a, as a team or an organization, then mm -hmm. we're going to be able to move at the speed of the business, move at the speed of development. And as development increases, it increases velocity, content development increases velocity and we're getting software out faster. Yeah. You know, the thing that I think about the most with this too, is it, it, to me, a lot of it comes back to the culture of the team. So, you know, I've, I've been in companies where the brand is taken very seriously, right? The brand is like, Oh my God, we got to respect the brand. I've been in other companies where the brand team might come in and like, they'll laugh them out the room. Right. Like, yeah, just give us a new PowerPoint template when you're ready, you know, like, and so I think like, from my perspective, like a lot of this, especially if you don't have the software, like we're talking about, it it, it comes down to the teams and the engineers who want to take this seriously and the, the product managers or the scrum masters or the QA or somebody who's willing to say this isn't right. Mm -hmm. um, where I work, it, it always falls often to the product designers who then have to fight often with the engineers or the QA or somebody and, and from their perspective, like, ah, it's fine. They know there's an error, whatever. It doesn't matter. And I think that might be like the hardest part to change is the, the mentality of those people, you know? Well, and we're seeing, I mean, there's some support for them with the concept of microcopy. So, you know, the creation okay. of tooltips, button tags, labels, forms um, that are created ahead of the production, the software production process. And, being able to distribute those out to the folks that are actually going to build software, code the software, and put that into the software um, provides them with essentially the, the unautomated guidance to be aligned across the business. But again, this all leans back to this need for upfront governance. If I don't have that, if I haven't defined those things, and I can't expect people not to write crazy ass stuff in my error messages, because I, I, I don't have any sense of governance. We don't have a voice or a language that we use consistently across the team. I haven't given you those tooltips. I haven't given you those buttons, those warnings, those alerts. And so this is what I get. This is why yeah. everything is different across my piece of software. And you've used that software. We all have. Or it's like, why does none of this, I just failed something again, but it's something completely different. I don't understand how to fix it. I don't know how to move forward. And that's the end of your user experience. And in today's world, we only get a couple shots, one, two tops before people go try something else. Yeah. Unless you're enterprise software, then you're stuck. Then you're stuck. <laughs>
<laughs> like my expense management software. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What are you uh, going to do? Yeah. You know, it's funny. I was thinking about maybe, you know, tapping into people's OCDs is all we really need to do here. And, uh, you know, maybe that's all it is. It's just people's obsessive compulsive. Oh, I need to make sure I put tabs, not spaces. Oh, just tap into it. But everybody has different little peccadilloes about different things. Keeping that stuff consistent is important. In addition to that, when you were talking about art and software as art, writing as art, it'd be really helpful for me to know what's my art and what's the brand. Mm-hmm. Which what's the difference? Because my art, I mean, you can still be an art artist as an engineer and write consistent error messages and use the same spacing and use the same struct. That's not your art. The art is in how you express the logic as a programmer. It's in the simplicity in which you you know express things. It's sometimes for some folks, it's how efficient can you make the method? How you know or or the 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 code or the logic. So, I don't know, I find that fascinating, the artist um, specifically, uh, that, that argument. Yeah, no, I mean, um, it's, it's I, shouldn't, I shouldn't put the weight on my development organization to come up with UI strings on their own. That's not what they signed up for. To your point, they're creating a graceful experience. They're creating software that works. They're creating code uh, that's perfect and extensible and wonderful and whatever. Um, And then they've got to figure out because we don't have a sense of any kind of content governance in this department, what they're supposed to say when the software fails. And that's, that's a shortcoming of the organization that can be easily solved. It just in a lot of cases isn't. Um, and, And that's sort of the excitement of what we're doing as a company is Helping, I mean, we have 20 of, the 20, 20 of the top 20 global technology companies amongst other industry players using our software in oh, their wow. dev organizations for this That's, specific reason. And it's, great. it's to align their experience. It's to reduce yeah. their costs. It's to make internationalization easier. We don't do translation, but we do make better source content. So yeah. better source content translates easier, costs less to, to convert. And so all of that saves money for the company and allows them to self-fund initiatives they're not currently doing. And that's, that's the excitement of, of all of this for me. I think about like the top 20, I don't know which companies these are, but you don't have to name them, but I'm thinking Apple, Google, things like that. When you've got literally thousands upon thousands of engineers and teams spread out globally in different offices and different everywhere, right? Regions, languages, all these things, cultures. How do you keep a consistent brand (laughs) without some type of mechanism to encourage everything or suggest things? And I'm just thinking about, I don't even know if, if this, if this type of thing didn't exist, I don't know how Google or Facebook or any of the big tech companies would keep the consistency. Like everybody that creates content has a whiteboard. And the whiteboard has all the things that they care about and how they build content. So it's that tone of voice. It's their clarity levels for the audiences that they're creating for. Uh, it's the style guidelines that they use. So do they use AP guidelines, for instance? Um, it's the inclusiveness. It's the emotion of that content. It's all written up there on the whiteboard. And it's cool because they can show it to their bosses and to the board and say, we know exactly how we write as an enterprise. The problem is mm-hmm. nobody can see your whiteboard. Yeah, and because none of the people that are doing writing in an enterprise are actually hired as writers, they're all hired as people that work. We are all content yeah. creators. 
all of us. So none of us kind of care at all about what's on the whiteboard. We're just coming to work trying to get things written down. So it's great that there's the whiteboard and it's great that somebody like me with a title like mine knows how I want you to create content. But it doesn't translate without some kind of mechanism. Because if I just send you a style guideline book, you're like, here's the book, use it. I mean, really, real question. Yeah. Are you <laughs> ever going to open that? Or is it going to be another thing on your desk next to the other yeah. things that you didn't open? And in most yeah. cases, yeah. it's going to be on your desk as a thing you never opened. Yeah. Um, Make sure it's there on the desk when the boss walks, walks past. It right, right. Pull it out. Oh, quick. Yeah. It's right here. I got it. Yeah. Right. It's, it's open. All right, Derek, you had a question. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, I was, I was thinking about, you know, companies that aren't software and ones that are really successful. Some use their consistency to allow them to infinitely expand. And you know what company that jumped to mind? Lego. Lego, okay. Lego has such strict rules in how it it uh, requires its, its content to be created. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they're able to basically expand as far as they need to they can have sh- uh, pieces of any shape because there are the lego rules i don't know if you know about this there are the lego rules in the company of how how they're allowed to create pieces and how they're allowed to organize things they oh, must like new shapes like a curve or a, a thing but they yeah, must they must adhere now. to certain principles and those content governance principles while they're not textual it's it allows their company to expand as far as they want to Mm -hmm. um they are able to expand digitally because you can map a standard process to a digital tool so now they created lego video games and lego you know you can create the tools like digitally so um something that maybe i don't know if that's uh that's a part of what you guys are promoting but um that's an interesting thing you can get from consistency is the ability to expand absolutely and that's i mean I, i met with a company not so long ago and um, we talked, I started with that. You're going to get the name of the company, right? And you're like, okay, cool. I get it. We sell really strange financial services products. Um, I guess they're strange to me. They're not strange to everybody, but <laughs> one of the products that they sell is insurance for equine husbandry. Okay. You yeah, sure. what that is. Um, and okay. that's a, hold on. I think I know that is, uh, um, uh, breeding horses. That's one way of saying it. Yes. I would. All right. Yeah. There you go. Right. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so that's, that's what they do. Um, they sell insurance uh, to insure the process of, of equine husbandry. And oh, okay. um, well, I guess a lot could go wrong. In there. But, but the challenge that they have is you can't hire somebody out of a, a liberal arts program to come in and be domain to that. And mm. how do I get somebody to come oh, in right. you know, off the street, out of another job, and appear to be a, a content expert in this domain. And the way is, again, through this use of, of modular content, um, mm-hmm. through governance and alignment and tone and terminology to allow somebody that doesn't really know the domain mm. to write like they do. And it allows them to onboard new employees much faster because they come in and not knowing anything and the software teaches them. And where does that go in today's world? Well, this inclusive language topic is, is a huge topic. Um, every enterprise has hired somebody into the role or promoted somebody into the role of, of chief diversity and inclusion officer. Mm-hmm. And these organizations have put in place the guidelines that they want used across the business for communication, 
How are we going to communicate the words that we're going to use? And it could be as easy, I mean, in, in our world in software development, the use of master and slave in our, in our content documentation, our, yeah. our software documentation. And I don't, it's not just, I don't want you to do it for, I don't want you to do it's sake. It's, I'd like you to understand why. So just like I want to onboard somebody and teach them how to be a better writer in equine husbandry, I want people to understand and get better and smarter and more sensitive with yeah. the way that they communicate. So providing them with not just what you wrote is insensitive, but yeah. if you didn't know, here's why. Because there's all uh, yeah, kinds see. of things that we write that we didn't, we don't know the genesis of that. Yeah. When somebody calls you on it and says, you really shouldn't write that. If you don't tell me why, I might do it again, not because I'm an insensitive jerk, but because I just don't, I didn't absorb that. I don't understand. Mm. So helping people to be better through this method of automation and governance so that as we move forward, the content continually gets better. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually a brilliant insight too, though. It's not about just saying don't do it or do it this way. It's, this is the reason there's a, there's an ultimate reason for it. And by the way, this, this example is not great. So that next time when you go to write it, it's just like picking another one. That's also offensive. It's thinking you're going to stop and think you're going to say, wait, hold on. Is this, should I say it this way? Hold on. Is there another thing? Let me think about this. Cause I don't really understand this. Maybe, you know, instead of just saying stuff, um, that's a brilliant insight. I honestly, uh, I mean, like you know, people, that didn't occur to me, but yeah, my entire life, people have been like, Oh, you know, something about, you know, the, the peanut gallery or the cheap seats. Uh, doesn't rule of thumb. I've heard that one. Doesn't yeah. feel hurtful until somebody yeah. explains to you why it is, and then you think about it in the future because it's just a thing that a thing we say until it's yeah. until it's not. But if I just cross it off a list, if I just edit it out of your content, it doesn't mean anything to you. You yeah. just, maybe that person just thought it was a bad way to phrase what I was saying. <laughs> no, yeah. Here's some reasons super... why. Here's the historical facts behind why we say this. And why we shouldn't say it. Now it's up to you. I had a question about applying governance proactively versus versus retroactively, like through an audit. What what is the balance there, and how does you know your software strike it, and how do you feel about that? It it I mean I think it really depends on the organization because there's the the live writer guidance. So again, we you know integrate your your governance into your development environment. Uh, and as you're literally typing, it's saying, maybe you should say something different than that, or it's not clear, or I don't understand, or you're using buzzwords. Um, and that allows you to com essentially commit software that's right the first time. You're going to have a numeric value for a score for each piece of content, and that score represents the alignment. Is this aligned with our, with our guidelines? The alternative to that is write, 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 commit. And on, on commit, a check is run, you come in in the morning and you get your scorecard and you go back and you make your decisions on the changing and updating of what you've done. It really depends on the flow of the organization. So if that's how you code, if that is your development process, that I'm going to code, 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 commit, run a bunch of quality tests on that, con on that code and then come back in the morning and make my changes, it makes sense to do all your, all your content governance in post, essentially. Um, if you're not working that way, uh, it's, it's easier, I think, but more distracting to type, fix, type, fix, commit. Uh, it just really depends on how your organization works. But the key to all of that is that up front, before any of this starts, 
you have your governance model. You know yeah. how you're going to create content. So there is that, that you have to have that, that's, obviously. That's I mean, that's like the master, the master file, the master document, the master example, the master yep. style guide, all that stuff. The other thing that we were, Derek and I were kind of throwing around some ideas and stuff before we were talking and um, this idea of organizational rules versus localized team rules. It sounds like everything we've been saying today, though, you would probably argue that you shouldn't be leaving it to anybody on the team. This is more top down kind of a thing. If I so, would, so is that accurate? Fun story. Um, Again, I came in, created our tone of voice, um, built it into my software uh, for use by my team and the sales organization and the BDRs and whoever's front office. And it resonated with our audiences. They liked the way that our content felt and sounded. And because I am a power hungry maniac, you know, <laughs> I'm gonna govern everybody. I said, cool, who else is creating customer facing content? The support team is, hey, y'all, you need to use this. And it didn't take a week before our customers that liked our front office content told us that they absolutely hated it when their support yeah. tickets came back with wit and happiness and all this other bullshit that they didn't care about. <laughs> Answer my question. Make it yeah. easy to understand. Oh, totally funny. And so what I quickly learned as a new person in this space was it's not one thing. So yeah. it is a hierarchy. That's the whole customer experience. We all spell the name of the customer correctly. But down from there, how do we communicate to the audience in the way that the audience wants to communicate? And there's some commonality that needs to happen. So if you think of a product, you know, a company that makes a product, they have language on or in the product. They have language in the product manual. They have language on the website. And that language needs to be the same, very similar, if not the same. So we have one customer that um, builds motorcycles. And on page one, page 37, page 362, uh, five pages deep on their website and in their support tickets, they need to use the same language for how to connect a battery. That's not something that individuals write. That is modular content that's available to them that's governed in their process. Um, but the way that it sounds, the way that it's positioned is different in, for instance, marketing. The idea of connecting a battery is still connecting a battery and we still have a way we say it but we're going to say it cooler when we're talking yeah. about marketing and selling this product than when we're guiding somebody in a product manual to actually do it. Because here the rubber hits the road here. I just want you to buy things. And yeah. so this commonality comes down from the top to create this broad hierarchy of the way that we communicate. It's easier to think of a drug company that has a, a drug that they're selling to pregnant women and 50 year old men for different purposes it's not one thing and you can't have one voice because the way that I talk to a nursing mother is very different than the way that I talk to a 50 year old guy. Um, mm. But I'm saying the same thing and yeah. commonality at the top that comes down into the voice that I use. Oh, so yeah. it can be fragmented. It can be, you know, based off audience category and stuff. You oh, just need to know where your consistency needs to lie. There are things that oh. are always, and there are things that are sometimes. Um, all right. Well, this has been, I think, extremely insightful. I think a lot of this stuff was were things that I I never even thought about until I came across your uh, your your bio and so and heard you speak on on a couple other podcasts. So anyway, this was super fascinating. I think again, just it's really important for everybody on the team to understand the brand and how you communicate. Understand that you are part of the customer experience, whether you're just writing code or you're writing UX copy or you're actually a salesperson. All that stuff ends up in front of the customer. And I think a lot of times that stuff, our software teams especially, just kind of overlook, you know, and I think that's that's critical, that idea of, 
consistency, uh, having having some type of governance, whether that's just a simple Word document or something everybody's looking at, or it's some kind of you know software like like Acrolinks, like we're talking about. But um, I think this is just super super critical. Any other closing thoughts? We've got a little game we want to play with you after before you leave, if you have time. But any other closing? I mean, to, closing to the point of your question that you've asked you asked earlier, um, if you don't have software, what do you do? Mm-hmm. I got this ebook on my website at acrolinks.com. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. Um, it's called uh, Content Grows Up. It's the Active Content Governance Playbook. It's guidance for people, whether they use our software, anybody's software, or no software at all, on how to understand and set up a content governance process in their, in their business or their department. Welcome you to come get it. Um, yeah, cool. Again, on acrolinks.com, A-C-R-O-L-I-N-X.com. Um, that's great. Yeah. Cause I think this, again, something like people, a lot of people don't think about a lot of product managers might be thinking about it, but you know, it it seems like such a big problem, especially for big organizations. I'm sure most people don't know where to start. Um, and without some maybe executive level buy-in, I think it might be really hard, but I think that's, again, that's, we talk about the culture. I think that it's really like thinking about how this can impact the, the brand. One of the things I was thinking about was like, you know, the brand is so valuable, right? Like companies will sell and license the brand from millions and millions and millions of dollars and all their licensing is that feeling that you get when you use that brand. That's really what they're paying for, right? Um, yeah, I mean, they're not paying for the logo. They're not paying for that. They're paying for the feeling that you get when you drink when you a use Coke that thing and all you, of this you, stuff. Yeah. All this stuff we're talking about impacts that feeling. And I think that's- 100%. It is the most yeah. valuable asset of a global business yeah. is their brand. Awesome. All right. I love that. That's a perfect way to close this out then. So I'm going to set a timer for a couple of minutes and uh, we're going to ask you a series of this or that questions. And you just, you know, first thing that comes to your mind, uh, just go ahead. Oh God, and um, <laughs> Don't be nervous. We won't now he gets nervous. He just lays a bunch of knowledge yeah, on us, blows my hair way back. I just got a haircut. You can't see. Hair is way blown back. Oh, we can see because it's going to be And he's nervous about this or that questions. All right. Hit him with it, Jeremy. All right. We're going to start off simple and then we'll get a little more, more silly as we go. Uh, dog or cat? A oh, dog. All right, Netflix or YouTube? YouTube. All right, so you we know you do CrossFit. I'm curious, cardio or weights? Weights. Weights. All right, most yeah, CrossFit. You got to like you got to throw them up in the air and do it like 50 times under your legs. Exactly. Yeah, do it with a bunch of people. I love it. I, I may I'm not making funny. I promise. I actually wish no, it's, it's okay. <laughs> so okay I get it. <laughs> um, all right, so um, let's see. This one, as someone who works out all the time, you're welcome to do this more often than I am. But ice cream cone or a cup? Cup. All right. More. Like it's easier to manage. Yeah. You don't end up with ice cream on yourself. More all right. Um, <laughs> all right. Living documents or the living dead? Living dead. <laughs> Great choice. <laughs> Big teams or small teams? Small. All right. Working from home or working from office? Oof. Um, nowadays, working from home. I am the reason that we have an office in the US. And I've always oh, well, thought okay. that it was more important. You get the context of of the business by standing in people's doorways and overhearing things. And yep. the pandemic yep. has really changed the way that I think about it because our team has been really successful over the last year working from home. So I'm going with home. Uh, nobody yeah. that knows me would, would, would expect that. Yeah. You know, I, I'm like kind of like a mix. I, I like, I, I love working from home. I think it's awesome, but I also miss that. Like I miss that office kind of camaraderie. You know, that you if my office was across the hall from my bedroom, then I'd be really <laughs> down with it. All right. So when you're sending an out of office uh, invite notification, do you use OOO or OOTO? OOO. I want to see OOTO. I'm confused. I'm like, what? What is this? All right. Um, got a few more here. Um, aisle or window seat? 
Uh, if it's an overnight flight, window. If it's daytime flight, aisle. As, as, as far to the front as I can get, then get the hell off the plane. <laughs> All right. Uh, we got a couple more here. Uh, this one's really important, Derek, uh, and I will, won't judge you too hard uh, on this one, but Star That's Trek or Star will. Wars? Come on. <laughs> I, I was born in 1970. I went and saw Star Wars at Grammys Chinese Theater in, in Hollywood. Oh, wow. Star Wars. All right. Let, Star him, Wars. let him be. That's a good excuse. Derek and I said the magic words. That that one is a good reason to like Star Wars. Leave him alone. All right. uh, Love or money? Seeing where my wife is. Um, (laughs) Love. (laughs) Love. (laughs) All right. Those last few, we got a few more. um, And this one is all related to content as we've been talking about content today. I'm sure you are familiar with Bill Gates' 1996 uh, essay that he wrote about how content is king. And if anyone out there isn't familiar, it's a really interesting essay. Uh, I'll link it in show notes. Um, but so we've got some questions here about what is really king. Are you ready? Sure. All right. Which one is king, content or Elvis? Elvis. Elvis. All right. Which is king, content or Burger King? Content. All right. Con- uh, which one is king, content or the Sacramento Kings? That's yeah, that's a hard one, content. Okay. Uh, which is king, content or Stephen King? Oh, Stephen King, 100%. <laughs> okay. And lastly, which is king, content or BB King? BB King. BB King. That's a, that's a good answer right there. All right. <laughs> so that's it. That's all you from passed. us. Um, uh, Chris, we really appreciate you coming on the show today. Uh, for everybody out there, uh, check out the show notes. We'll link to all the stuff that um, that Chris talked about and, and um, some of his, uh, his, his e-book and, and some other stuff. Um, if you haven't gotten any stickers yet, check out RetroTimePodcast.com slash stickers. Remember, if you leave a five-star review, my man Derek Siebert will write you your very own review jam. Uh, and we'll play it for you on the show. So do that. And that's all for me, Derek. I don't have anything else. Fantastic. I just want to tell everybody to take it easy. And I want to tell our distinguished guest, thank you so much. I know you have a busy schedule and you took time out of your day to come talk to us, Knuckleheads. And we appreciate it. Thanks so Very much, Beck. This was awesome. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. Take it easy. Uh, Jeremy, real quick, real quick before we go on. Um, What's a cool way to say uh, connecting a battery? I was thinking about it. Hey, hip cat, connect red terminal one to terminal B. I don't know. We have the the fastest quick release battery (laughs) connectors in the business. I want to try. I want to try. I was like, uh, go ahead, Derek. You you want to get back on a roll? Snap that bat. That's what I was going to say. That's that's way better than mine. Snap that bat. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm I'm available. you know, whenever Derek, you're really good at writing jingles for it, though. So I, you know, maybe afterwards, yeah. maybe we have after we Chris leaves us, you can you can write a jingle. Yeah, bat snappers. That's the name. Yeah, of the, and then, uh, and then the, you can the attach tool. it. To, yeah. Yeah. I think that's a product. All right, <laughs> An aftermarket product. Yeah, right. Bat snappers. We're full of ideas, Chris. <laughs> Jeremy used to start every podcast we interviewed someone. He'd go, right, "We have our best guest yet," and and I'd be like, "Dude, what? The last guy's gonna listen to this? What are you saying that for?"